Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms of preteens, teens, and young adults. My mission is to first and foremost support and encourage you, mom, so that you can live well and reclaim your life. Two, the show will help you have the best possible relationships with your teens so that you can communicate, motivate, and guide them effectively and actually enjoy them. And third, I will bring you top-notch guests who will share the newest in adolescent research and trends so you can be prepared and aware of what your teens are facing today. Always you will leave each episode armed with practical parenting tips. Welcome back to the 212th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. Does your tween, teen, or college student struggle with taking tests? Do they struggle taking the ACT or SAT? What I know is that more and more teens are struggling with test anxiety, and it's a real thing. A little anxiety can help you with your performance, but if there is too much anxiety, it will hurt your test scores. One of the reasons that test anxiety is on the rise is because that there is so much pressure on the test results. It feels high stakes. And when something feels so high stake, you feel anxious. The higher the stakes, the more anxiety you have. Before I introduce my guests, I also wanted to let you know that it is almost the one-year anniversary of my book, Dial Up the Dream, that was launched last year on May 3rd. Moms, if you have a senior about to graduate, or if you have a friend who has a teen that's about to graduate, this is the perfect gift for mom to help her through this major transition. There are moms who've told me that this book, Dial Up the Dream, is the what to expect book for moms of graduating seniors and college students. Dial Up the Dream, Make Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You, walks you through the transition of letting go and redefining your relationship with your teen. 
So senior moms, I know this time for you brings up every emotion possible. And Dial Up the Dream really is helpful to validate your feelings, support you, encourage you, and guide you with really practical tips. After 50,000 hours of counseling moms at teens and young adults, I have heard constantly over and over what doesn't work and all the traps that moms fall into that can actually push your teen away. Your son or daughter still needs you because their prefrontal cortex will still be undeveloped when they leave for college. You still have a role to play and you need to let go. And what in the heck does that mean? And I know it's confusing, which is why I wrote Dial Up the Dream. If you want help to know what your role is now and how to stay connected and have a healthy relationship with your teen when they leave home, if you want to make this a successful transition for both you and your teen, you can order Dial Up the Dream on Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or wherever books are sold. And because I know you moms are a listening audience, yes, you can get Dial Up the Dream on Audible. All right, so back to our episode today. To help us with navigating test anxiety and helping our teens with this, I have brought in an expert. Ashley Harlow, PhD, is a licensed child and adolescent psychologist and a nationally certified school psychologist on the behavioral health team at Children's Hospital and Medical Center in Omaha, Nebraska. He has served in his role at Children's since 2010 and provides individual and family therapy to children, adolescents, and parents in primary care and school settings. Dr. Harlow works with families facing common behavioral and psychological concerns, including tantrums, aggression, noncompliance, as well as anxiety, depression, and adjustment distress. Dr. Harlow received his PhD in school psychology from Indiana University and a Master of Business Administration from the University of Nebraska-Omaha. So welcome, Dr. Ashley Harlow. Thank you. So the first question I ask my guests is, if you are a parent, and if so, what are the ages of your kids? I am a parent. Actually, our my wife and I have been through a range of parenting. Uh, we had four foster kids when wow. we were first married, and now we have uh, four of our own biological children. So we have a two-year-old, a four-year-old, a six-year-old, and an eight-year-old. Much our, sleep happening at our house right now. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are really busy. Yes. So we're going to talk about test anxiety. And so tell us a little bit about your background and how you became interested in this. Sure. So I have been uh, a psychologist at Children's Hospital and Medical Center here in Omaha for 11 years now. And I work in a number of different settings in primary care. So I work in pediatricians offices. And that's been, you know, just a really wonderful opportunity to go kind of hand in hand and have this sort of medical home model and work with the, the pediatricians and the clients that come in there. And then I also work with a local school district. And so I work in a middle school one day a week and see kids for all kinds of presenting concerns. But anxiety tends to be forefront among those. Mm-hmm. And I also think that, I mean, kids encounter all kinds of situations that make them anxious, but one of the kind of contrived or intentional situations that we put kids in that causes anxiety is taking tests. And so having kind of a well-developed toolkit 
for working with test anxiety is really valuable, both as a clinician as well as uh, for parents and for teachers. And so it's a good skill set to have. Oh, it's very, very helpful. And as I just told you, so I'm a marriage and family therapist, and I see lots of kids and college kids, and test anxiety is seems, mm. in my world, is very prevalent. So I'm wondering if you could define what test anxiety is, and just for the parents listening, you know, is that even a diagnosis, or how prevalent is it? I would say that it's very prevalent. And so when when you think about any sort of mental health concerns or behavioral health diagnoses, like all of these domains sort of express themselves on a continuum. So there are kids with high anxiety and kids with low anxiety. And we think if we think about kind of diagnosable conditions, so that higher end of the spectrum, the research says somewhere between 25 and 30% of adolescents will experience some kind of anxiety disorder. And so that's at the high end. But you don't have to necessarily have a diagnosed condition to experience test anxiety or anxiety in a high demand situation, because I would maybe even broaden it to kind of demand anxiety. So the same kind of test anxiety kids will experience if they're trying out for varsity soccer or at their dance team or, you know, all these other contexts where there is a pressure to perform at a, at a given time and space. And so as we're talking about a definition for test anxiety, I would say that it is kind of a heightened emotional, physiological, or cognitive response to that high demand situation and expresses itself as anxiety. And so it can be the, the cognitive side might be ruminating about it or or uh, having difficulty concentrating or kind of organizing thoughts. And there might also be kind of physiological sorts of symptoms. And so kids might get upset stomachs or headaches or difficulty breathing or tightness in their chest. Those kinds of situations can arise in that testing environment. That makes so much sense. I mean, it, it almost feels like, like a natural consequence to a high demand situation. Yes. Anxiety. <laughs> Yes. And, you know, that's also why anxiety in lots of ways is really adaptive. I, we, we have anxiety responses when we're faced with dangerous situations. Like that's, that's why it's adaptive, right? And so I'll often talk to kids about if you're walking in the woods and see a bear, like your body is going to react with anxiety because it's scary and dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. Or that's why folks might like roller coasters because they <laughs> put you in a situation where it's kind of approaches danger. And so your body reacts in that kind of way. Anxious response can also cause symptoms that get in the way of being successful, especially when we're talking about situations that aren't necessarily dangerous, but still have high demands. So do you think that there is a correlation between the more pressure of getting into college and more pressure around college admissions in general and test anxiety? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Between college admissions and scholarships and just how competitive and kind of elaborated the services are and considerations about getting into college. I mean, I meet with kids from 18 months all the way up to 21. And it surprises me that over the years, even in my uh, relatively short career, that I have seen it kind of trickle down to younger and younger kids getting worried about performing on exams. And I think that it's not only the college admissions process, but also 
school districts are arranged around what even they label as high stakes testing. And so that high stakes testing environment creates anxiety potentially in administrators and teachers. And it, mm. it, it becomes present in the classroom too, because you're preparing for these tests. There's lots of conversation around how we have to do well on these tests. And it just keeps the screws tighten, I guess, as, as you yes. move through the grades and that there is more kind of individual impact as you get further along in testing, the ways the results of the test will affect you increase. And -hmm. that increases the anxiety for the kids Mm -hmm. in taking those tests. Yeah. So good. Finals are coming up for teens across (laughs) the nation. What do you find is helpful when you're dealing with a teen who has test anxiety? All kinds of things. I would say can be helpful, but I like to break it down into kind of three phases. So what you do in preparation for the exam, what you do during the exam, and how you manage things after the exam. And so for the exam, working really hard to build healthy habits, broadly speaking. And so you're eating healthy, you're getting enough sleep on a regular basis, and you're getting exercise. Because Mm -hmm. chances are, especially if you're a kiddo with higher anxiety, the Mm -hmm. night before the test, it might be difficult to sleep. So that's why you want to have six or seven days of good sleep before that potentially difficult night of sleep before the exam. And so kind of setting routines around healthy habits and generally healthy behavior. Do you want to put together a study plan so you're you're prepared for the exam, you know the material inside and out and upside down. You also want, while you are preparing, to, in addition to preparing the kind of academic or kind of the material that you're going to be tested on, that you're also preparing the coping skills that you're going to be using in the testing environment. And so sometimes I'll talk to kids about putting together like a, like a, a coping skills cheat sheet that you have along with you. And so you've got your deep breathing and you've got your progressive muscle relaxation and very brief and targeted, maybe guided imagery about what you're going to do after the exam and sort of different, maybe kind of mindfulness activities to get yourself centered. And you're practicing these simultaneously with algebra and your AP world history content or whatever it is that you're studying. And so lots of things to prepare ahead of time. You also want to to study in a context as close as possible to the testing environment. Mm. And so having kids in a a quiet room, if the exam is going to be on a computer, then they're practicing taking or answering questions on the computer. If it's going to be paper and pencil, that that's how they're practicing accessing their memory to bring those answers forth as they're preparing for the exam. So all kinds of things help before they go into the testing environment. When they're actually there in the moment, things like arriving early, arranging their space, having their coping skills ready to go, not getting too focused on the clock, the people around them. Getting started sometimes is... (laughs) is one of the most important things when they're in the room that they might get really fixated on their own anxiety or the what's going to happen at the end of this exam or what the results are going to be used on. And so being able to move away from being too much in their head and just taking that step forward mm-hmm. and answering a question. And then mm-hmm. after the exam is over, being able to focus on the positive, putting the test that they took in context. It's a snapshot of all the information that was in their head at that moment, and it doesn't define them, mm-hmm. that they have 
and this is kind of pervasive in the work that I do with kids and families, especially the anxious ones. How do you define high stakes? Especially when you're 15 or 17, like there are legitimately high stakes situations you could be in. And those tend to be things related to maybe drugs or alcohol or driving your car. Like those are very high stakes situations. Putting an AP calculus exam into context compared to those things can be really, really important. And so as you walk out of the exam, the experience of relief, walking away from it, because kids can also, especially highly anxious kids, can start ruminating about the one question they didn't know or the one thing that they didn't write into their answer. But kind of monitoring those anxious thoughts and being able to, in sports, you leave it on the field. In a testing environment, I left it on the computer and I left it in the room and ready to move on with the, the next thing that I had to do in my life. That's so good. Those are really, really helpful things. One thing that I work on with kids is just help them be aware of their thoughts going into the mm-hmm. exam. A lot of times what they're saying to themselves is really powerful and they're not even aware of it. Those automatic mm-hmm. thoughts. Like I tend to hear, I don't have enough time. You know, I'm going to fail this. I won't remember it. And I'm sure you've heard some cognitions like that. And then we work on that too. So with your mindfulness exercises, and then, I mean, all that stuff is so great. So I would add that piece of cognition. Yes. I think the visualizing is super helpful too. So if they're aware of, I don't have enough time, and then we check that out, you know, Mm -hmm. some of the CBT stuff, check it out if, is that really true? And then if that is true, then what can you do about it? Mm -hmm. So sometimes I also think what's really helpful, and like you said, in that preparing stage is almost over planning. Yes. Well, and this, (laughs) I think, gets to one of the things I really try to emphasize with kids and families is that anxiety in some ways can be a superpower and Mm -hmm. be in so far as you do over prepare. And you can over-prepare in multiple domains, that you over-prepare in terms of the content that you're learning, but then you over-prepare in terms of the coping skills and the emotional preparation that you go in with. And I think that you're absolutely right, that I think that the cognitive part is really important and a role that parents can have, because Mm -hmm. whether it's parents, (laughs) anxious kids often have anxious parents, and it's just sort of in the air right? That parents are talking about things being high stakes or are th- talking about the consequences that if, if you don't do well on this test, you won't get a scholarship to college and we can't afford it. And all of that builds the pressure. And yes. so parents are sometimes, not always, but sometimes modeling that kind of anxious thinking. And so parents really being co- like conscientious and aware of their own modeling of kind of those cognitions or the thinking traps that anxiety can produce but then also monitoring their kids for these kinds of thinking traps. The ones that tend to be, I mean, there are all kinds of thinking traps that anxiety causes, of course, but the ones that are most relevant often for testing tend to be things like catastrophizing, like expecting the worst thing to happen, you know, black and white thinking. So I either get a perfect score or I failed, kind of reading the minds of people whose opinions you care about, like teachers are going to be so disappointed in me or parents are going to be so disappointed in me. Lots of those kinds of things. And when parents hear that, that they're aware of it and can help a child, especially younger teens, identify the thought and challenge it as not based in reality, but really based more in anxiety. I completely agree. I mean, our parents, and I speak to moms mostly, but we feel the pressure. We feel the high stakes 
And we don't even know that we're passing our anxiety and our stress onto our kids. What advice do you have for the parents? All kinds of things. Because I often tend to work with anxious kids who are in anxious families. And so it sort of tends to be a whole family systems intervention when it comes to how do we manage anxiety. There are multiple ways families can be really helpful. Talking about anxiety and talking about the things that we're talking about right now is the place to start. Because Mm -hmm. I think that it's really easy to not be aware of one's own anxiety and how mm-hmm. their anxiety contributes to situations. And this is true with families that I work with all the way down to when kids are three or four or five, that there can be a whole lot of anxiety and urgency to jump in and manage a situation, whether it's it's disruptive behavior or conflict at school. And that can create a lot of kind of tension and pressure in a situation. And that kind of tightens and develops over time to situations like we're talking about with test anxiety. And so parents working on kind of themselves in the family context to be aware of their own anxiety and kind of checking that anxiety against the reality the child is in. Listening to kids about how they're worrying and how anxiety is manifesting itself and really being able to kind of sit back and ask questions before intervening. So, you know, tell me more about that. How is getting a 95% on a test failing? Mm -hmm. How is that really going to affect you in college? Is a college admissions person really going to look at your eighth grade social studies test grades? And Mm -hmm. so starting early to Mm -hmm. kind of have a more reality-based approach to confronting anxiety. One of the things that I always feel like I have to talk about parents too is being really aware of reassurance Mm -hmm. because a lot of times parents don't want to see their kids suffer. Of course, they don't want to see their kids suffer and they don't want their kids experiencing distress. And so carrying that distress is something that the parents will want to jump in and alleviate or try to avoid altogether. That can be really disabling for kids because then they don't learn how to tolerate the distress themselves. And so they go into a situation where they might be more anxious or they might have adversity to overcome and they haven't had the experience. And so their tolerance for that distress is really low. Parents working ahead of time to allow kids to have some distress Mm -hmm. and allow them to be upset and be agitated and figure out how to handle that. And that's we're not leaving our kids on a mountain and letting them figure their way down. Right. Right. (laughs) Survive in the wilderness on their own. But there may be times where kids might hear tornado sirens or have to go through fire alarms at school or see the evening news. And that Mm -hmm. can be distressing and something that parents can process with them. None of what I'm talking about is specifically relevant to test anxiety, but it lays the foundation to be able to manage some of that distress that comes with a high demand situation. Mm -hmm. A couple things I would say is... I do a lot of deep work with moms. So I think the work starts moms with you finding that place where it's it feels like high stakes for you. And then you working that out so you don't feel like it's that high stakes. If you really feel it's high stakes and you're trying to say, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, your kids are going to see through that. They're going to see your disappointment. They're going to see your body language and all of that. So I think that's the deep work. And I think, moms, if you can just hold the space that your kids are going to be okay, because a lot of times they look to you like, am I going to be okay? And they see 
that you're panicked about it. So if you hold the calm for the family, that can be super helpful. And the second thing I'd love to hear your opinion about is I think that often parents don't see the test anxiety. They see something like procrastination. They see defiance. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? I think that's absolutely true, that test anxiety can manifest in lots of different ways. And sometimes that's excessive preparation and extensive rumination. And then other times it's sort of escape avoidance behavior. Mm -hmm. That they're going to do everything possible to, even so far as not going to school, but putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And I think that that's a really important place for parents to intervene to help support some of those behaviors. And I think that there's a fine line to walk. I really love the idea you shared about moms holding the calm for the family. Because I think that can be a difficult thing, especially in the face of procrastination. Because... Mm -hmm. You want to be calm and you want to be supportive, but you also see the clock ticking between now and when the exam happens, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really, in a lot of ways, difficult to talk about test anxiety as this isolated event mm -hmm. or kind of preparation for test taking as kind of a discrete moment in time, because it's true that that test is a snapshot of their ability, but there are all kinds of supports families can build in the lead up to that. Mm -hmm. And so it's nice to talk to another therapist about this <laughs> because families can lean into their existing relationship with their kids, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that they have built trust and communication around all kinds of situations prior to when the test happens. Mm -hmm. And so being able to have a real conversation with a son or a daughter about, you know, it seems like mm -hmm. <laughs> you have a big test coming up and I'm not seeing any preparation. Mm -hmm. Can we talk mm -hmm. a little bit about what's going on and mm -hmm. getting to the bottom of, mm -hmm. I, you know, I just can't stand it. That mm -hmm. that child says, I just, I just can't do it because I start thinking about all of these scary things that'll happen if I don't do well. And so I don't open the, I don't know, textbook or Chromebook to get the work done. Mm -hmm. And parents mm -hmm. being able to engage in that conversation and say, yes, I understand. And even talking about these are things that have worked for me in the past. Maybe we can put together a plan together to make this work. I mean, there's a real risk. Because a lot of parents, I think, are, are really quick to say, okay, we'll just shut down TikTok and then you'll have plenty of time to study <laughs> or you're not going out with your friends and so you'll have to study. And that can create a real conflict around this and creates even more high stakes in the family and even takes away some of the balance the kid has. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what you're saying is so true because I think it's so easy for moms to quickly judge or any parent to quickly judge what we see, kind of the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And we're like, they're lazy, they don't care, they're being defiant. And yes. I think it can help moms just think like, maybe it's anxiety. Maybe they are, as you and I know, part of the anxiety is you can go into a stress response. So yes. a lot of times these kids are literally in freeze response. Mm-hmm. Absolutely true. And understanding that freeze response can be really, really helpful, not only in terms of the test anxiety, but in terms of the relationship mm -hmm. you have. And so the mm -hmm. kind of child can move through the world feeling understood around 
testing, but also more broadly around the kind of anxiety that they're experiencing and feel like they have an ally in kind of pushing through that situation. And I think that you're really onto something talking about the the freeze response in, in the anxiety, because in a lot of ways, that's evidence that success means a lot to the child. Mm-hmm. Right. So the son mm-hmm. or daughter wants to do well and they want to please the people in their life and they want to demonstrate their skills. But the anxiety causes the shutdown or the freeze or the really significant roadblock to getting that done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember I had a ninth grade girl in my office and she looked like she would be kind of a defiant person, but it was like a cover. Mm-hmm. And she said, it's just too late. And I said, what's too late? And she said, like, I'm not going to be successful. And I'm like, well, why aren't you going to be successful? Well, like the counselors or the academic advisors, you know, said that we have to have perfect grades or we won't get into school. Mm. So as you know, that teens have that black and white thinking. And so some of those scare tactics aren't helpful. I think that's absolutely true. And I think that that comes up in conversations I have with uh, school professionals about how to talk about things in more realistic sorts of ways. I I think you're absolutely right that it's hard for a ninth grader to hear that and say, and really scrutinize it and say like, is that really true? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I also think that you're right. That for so many kids, what looks like defiance or agitation or argumentativeness Mm -hmm. can really have anxiety at the core. Mm -hmm. I know that some kids can get some help from schools. How does that happen? Can you explain that? So are you talking about kind of formal interventions or are you talking yeah, I mean, about like just kind of consultation with, with teachers and counselors? And you know, I've been asked to write letters for oh. different teens so that they would have accommodations. Gotcha. Okay. So the accommodation that tends to be the most useful is something called a 504 plan. And I, I don't want to get too technical here, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but a, a 504 plan is something any family can re- request. And it is kind of a federal document that indicates that a child has a disabling condition that the school is then required to accommodate. And so kids uh, tend to have to have a formal diagnosis in order for that 504 plan to be put in place. But in a lot of ways, it's a it's really wonderful because it, it, it's a really flexible document that you sit down with the, the child's school team and put together interventions and accommodations for the child. And so potentially a lot of the things that we talked about in here around the test anxiety, that they might have their coping skills cheat sheet on their desk when they're, when they're doing the exam. It might be in a quiet environment. They might have questions read to them. They might have extended test time. All of those kinds of accommodations can be put in place. But that it starts with parent request and a, and a formal diagnosis. And broadly speaking, schools tend to be pretty supportive of this. I think in a lot of school districts, there's much more emphasis on a social emotional learning curriculum. And so schools are doing a, a much better job, I would say, kind of building coping skills, starting even in kindergarten. But also, they're uh, better at assessing and seeing some of these concerns manifesting in the classroom, all of which gives the schools a better kind of skill set or accommodations package for kids who are on the more uh, severe end of test anxiety. Yeah. So we were talking about good health habits before doing exams and tests and stuff. So how important do you think exercise is 
I talk about it every chance I get. Because uh, even starting with younger kids, I can't preach the benefits of exercise enough, especially if it's happening outside and kids are getting sunshine and fresh air. Uh, not only, I think, is it really helpful for working out some of the, the cortisol and other kind of chemical drivers of anxiety, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but also it helps kids get more body awareness it helps kids sleep better, which also then helps them be better regulated when the anxiety comes calling, that they mm -hmm. have more of those just kind of cognitive and emotional resources ready to go. And so exercise is so, so, so important. And building families working together to build routines around it. Mm -hmm. So going to the gym with mom or going on a walk with mom, which is also a really wonderful way for kids to connect with parents. Mm -hmm. And obviously you don't want it to become a showdown <laughs> where kids are, <laughs> are forced to do something they don't want to do. Any opportunity for exercise, I think, can be a really wonderful way to build routines and healthy habits around coping. Yeah. So I was just thinking teens are like, oh my gosh, it's finals and they're all sitting they're sitting, yes. studying, sitting and studying and probably not getting as much exercise as normal. And so then they're not able to release that adrenaline and cortisol. Mm -hmm. So I like to explain some of the science to my kids and then tell them that you will be able to really have better recall and memory after you do some cardio. Yes, absolutely true. And I think that there's also needs to be a balance because I, a lot of the kids I talk to say, I can only relax if I'm on TikTok or Netflix. Mm -hmm. And so when that comes up, I think that that's easily a chance for conflict with parents mm -hmm. or other right. folks. And mm -hmm. so allowing space for both mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. you know, you got to take lots of study breaks and maybe you've got TikTok breaks and you've got a quick walk or a quick jog break. Yes. Good. Well, this has been super helpful. Do you have any last advice for the moms listening? I mean, one of the things that occurs to me is I think talking about anxiety is just so fundamentally important. And mm -hmm. so I feel really appreciative for the chance to talk about it with you today. And I think really excited for the moms who are listening to you that they're going to be thinking about this and looking at this and really recognizing that anxiety is not a disability mm -hmm. and thinking about anxiety as something that can be really positive and a superpower for kids in that mm -hmm. anxiety is really predictive of success, that these are, are likely kids who are going to be prepared for their SAT, that they're going to show up to their job interview, knowing everything they possibly can about the job that they're going to do. They're going to pay their taxes on time. They're going to make <laughs> sure uh, they know what they're getting into and in their mortgages, <laughs> all of these things later in life. And so like figuring out how to harness those benefits that anxiety is giving them to make them successful at every stage in life coming their way. Mm, I love your positive spin on anxiety. And it's actually really true. So how can moms contact you? Uh, they can find me on the children's website. Mm -hmm. That would be the best way or uh, email tends to be the best way to find me. All right. That sounds great. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms and Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning best-selling books, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, 
and my newest release book, Dollop the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You, you can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com. And that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.